I said, hey, ladies and fellas, if you're listening. As a woman of color, it is so hard to find lipsticks and glosses that really pop on my beautiful brown skin. Y'all know what I'm talking about? When the lipstick is giving lackluster instead of Lil Mama, okay? (laughs) Well, I discovered the most radiant, saturated, and pigmented lipsticks for richer complexions, and I found them at the Lip Bar. The Lip Bar is a black woman-owned and led beauty brand that focuses on providing effortless beauty options for all women, but especially women like us with highly melanated skin. Oh, and did I forget to mention that all Lip Bar products are vegan and cruelty-free? Get into it, friends. Make sure you click the link in the show notes to receive 10% off your first or next order of beauty products at the Lip Bar. Hashtag, you're welcome. And then you go through your life trying not to get pregnant because the Mm. conversation is, oh my gosh, now you have your period. And if you sleep with a boy, you're going to get pregnant. Don't bring no babies in this house and all that kind of thing. And I'm thinking the whole time, man, I could have been. (laughs) It's not that I was out there thoughting it up or something. But But you could have been. I mean, you know, but the reality is, is I was like, man, now of all times I'm married, I'm ready to have kids. Mm. We just thought, you know, hey, it was just going to happen. And it just wasn't happening. You are now listening to the Sugar Free Podcast, the premier life advice podcast for millennial women. Welcome to the tea party, friends. Now tell me, girl, how you like your tea. You know it's sugar free. Now tell me, girl, how you like your tea. Up in here, we like it sugar free. Come through, stop by, get up with me. With your girl sitting back, I'm a little crazy. to another episode of the Sugar Free Podcast, the life advice podcast for millennial women featuring me, your homegirl in your head, Sid Mack. So where we at? What we doing? It's another Monday morning. Listen, your girl is struggling this Monday morning. I'm not even going to hold y'all. The struggle is real, but I'm here. I made it. Did you make it another week? wonderful we here friends listen i have so many amazing things going on in my life right now i still i'm still not fully ready to share them i'm still not fully ready to share everything but what i can share is related to today's episode which is about how to navigate infertility the process of pregnancy And so I have been pretty open on the show about my health challenges, especially when it comes to women's health and reproductive health and having to have surgery on my cervix a few years ago um, to remove some very, very early stage cancer cells. 
of which all were removed. Everything is good. I am 100% fine. But that process some years ago kicked off my journey towards figuring out my fertility. So how, how did that turn into this? <laughs> Great question. So when I had the surgery, they had to remove a portion of my cervix. So for those of you who don't know, your cervix is the portion of your, I don't know what we call it. Let's say the part, the part of your vagina, let's say that if you have a baby, the cervix is literally what keeps the baby from plopping out on the floor, okay? It holds the baby in. Now, because part of my cervix is missing, it is less likely that I will be able to carry a baby to full term. You add that on top of the fact that I have very irregular periods and some other health issues. And my doctors were like, we might need to think about getting you started with some fertility treatments now because we already have identified you as a person who was more likely than not going to have issues conceiving. They also put me through my paces because in the event that these cancer cells come back, which I'm doing everything in my power to keep that from being so, but in the event that they do, the treatment is a hysterectomy, which for those of you who don't know, it's basically complete removal of all of my reproductive organs. And so in the event that that might be the case, my doctor, who is fantastic, who is absolutely amazing, put me on this path to be able to protect and preserve my fertility in the event that the worst case scenario happens. And so in that event, I will have some eggs stored because I'm currently in the process of freezing my eggs so that I can have a baby no matter what curveballs life might throw my way. And so I'm so incredibly grateful for my doctor for being so proactive and putting me on this journey. But in doing so, it really has been a process. Let me t listen, I am currently... And when I say currently, I mean like right now, undergoing a cycle of IVF, which is the process for freezing your eggs. You gotta undergo a cycle of IVF. So I'm doing that right now and it has been, whew, it has been a journey, but having to go through this process of preserving my fertility has made me seek out other women who have also had to preserve their fertility or revive it or whatever. And so that's how I kind of landed on today's topic is the process of pregnancy. Because for some women, the process is a wild night of passion and fun and a night you probably want to forget or maybe don't want to forget. But for so many others of us out there, the process to pregnancy is truly that. It's a process. And so today I have brought to the tea party our very special guest, Miss Shalmika Sweet, to discuss with us her process to pregnancy and how she has navigated infertility. And so I hope you guys enjoy her story. 
and you really appreciate the wonder that is birth and motherhood. I can tell you that this journey has made me appreciate it so much more, okay? And so I also want to let you know that today's conversation is going to be a two-parter because we just couldn't squeeze it all into one episode. Navigating infertility is is a journey and I want to make sure you guys get it all. All right? All right. Well, without further ado, let's welcome to the Tea Party professor and host of the Beyond Conception podcast, Miss Shalmika Sweet. Shalmika, welcome to the Tea Party, girl. Please tell the good people who you are and what you do. Well, I am Shalmika Sweet. I am an educator by profession. Um, I teach at South Mountain Community College, but as to my being here today, I'm talking about my podcast, the Beyond Conception podcast. And it was developed from my experience with infertility and dealing with that nine-year journey and the ups and downs of that as a woman, but then also as a wife. And my husband and I on this podcast talk about the ups and downs of infertility and how it impacted our marriage, us individually and collectively, but to be a pillar of support from our perspective, we are not the experts. Everybody's journey is different, but to help you to go through those things that are just beyond your conception, what you can conceptualize for yourself in this process. It's more than just conceiving a baby. It's the whole mental, physical, spiritual, financial, um, emotional, every aspect of your life that is just, wow. How am I going to get through this? It is beyond my conception to conceptualize this happening to me. So that's who I am in a nutshell. And to particularly help people get through this because it is a chore. It is something that one never thinks that will happen to them until it happens to you. And um, that's who I am. Oh my gosh. I love that. I actually did not realize that the title of your show beyond conception was inclusive uh-huh. of all of that. So I don't know how my listeners listen to podcasts, but I have listened to your show a few episodes and I just kind of skipped to the ones where I'm like, Ooh, this is the one I need. Mm. <laughs> and Good. so maybe in your trailer or first episode, you kind of went through that entire description of what beyond conception means, but it, this was news to me. I was like, Ooh, that's mm-hmm. deep. Yeah. 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 We did do that in season one, maybe episode one or two. Now we are novice at the whole podcasting thing. So if we didn't hit the mark with that explanation, but I do know now that I'm thinking through it, we did explain that a few episodes, but yeah, that's what really just kind of hit my spirit when I thought about a topic or name for the podcast, it was really beyond our conception because it really goes beyond the conceiving a child, the conception of a child. It's everything that leads up to it that gives you those really wow moments. I can't believe this is happening to me. Yeah. I I totally agree. And, and I'm a huge fan of your show. I love it. And so I'm so excited to have you here today because one of the reasons why I enjoyed your show is because there are not a lot of folks having the conversation And Uh there aren't a lot of folks who are black women, women of color, younger women who are openly chronicling or detailing their issues with fertility. And I think part of it is it's difficult to talk about this. This subject is very emotional. So I am like 
kudos to you and thank you so much for your bravery and your vulnerability wow. in covering a topic that is super personal yeah. um, in the efforts of sharing with other people. And then the other reason why I think a lot of women don't discuss is because there's a lot of shame around uh, the idea of infertility and I know that as women we are trying to move in a direction that is more progressive and less um, in line with the patriarchy but I think that for a lot of women there is still some shame associated with feeling like I can't do the thing that I was put on this earth to do <laughs> exactly exactly <laughs> and that was my sentiment you're absolutely right with that. That was my sentiment. And since disclosing my situation, I have come to find out that is the testament of a lot of women and couples in particular. Because you always get that question, you know, as soon as you get married, when y'all gonna have babies? When are the babies coming? When I need some grandkids, I need to be an auntie, you know, I wanna be a grandma. You get all those things and, you know, you're trying to make it happen and it's just not going as planned. And there is a shame for me that came with it because I felt like my body wasn't doing what it was supposed to do. And then as I went to continue to explore this, I found out it was more complicated than I thought it would be. That led to nine years of um, self-doubt, self-efficacy was very low. I was like, mm. I can't do what I'm supposed to do. Mm. And everybody around me seemingly is having babies every time I look up a birth announcement is coming out or baby shower invite. And it was just very daunting. And so I kept it to myself because I didn't want anyone to feel sorry for me and pity me. It's like, oh, you know, she can't have kids, that kind of thing. Because we hear those thoughts, at least I did. And knowing of some women, they didn't fully share to me. But, you know, people get to talking. Mm -hmm. And you hear it at the family barbecue or at the fellowship hall of the church oh you know sister so-and-so or miss whatever they try but you know they can't have kids and it's always that mm. pity look mm. I didn't want people to pity me because I was already trying to process and I'm you know coming negatively on myself all these negative thoughts emotions and so I didn't want that coming from someone else so trying to also be positive in that space is why part of the shame too I was like well I don't need any further negativity so let me just keep it to myself and hopefully we can get through this, you know, mm -hmm. but there was a lot of shame involved. I just was shamed at my body, at my, um, I even told my husband, it was almost like, you know, if you think of the story of Sarah in the Bible, she told Abraham, well, go and sleep with my handmaid because now I wasn't really hoping for the handmaid tales, but <laughs> you know, it was, I just felt like you can go be with someone else. I can't make you babies. I'm so sorry. I know you want this. I'm worthless. I, I can't produce what it is that you want. I really felt like for him to be happy, maybe he should be with someone else. And he really told me, you're crazy. <laughs> this is ridiculous. I'm going to be with you. I'm not going anywhere. You are my wife. We are family. And if it's us until our very last breaths, that's what it is. And so there was a lot of work that I had to do to process that and to realize that, you know, it's not my fault. And Ooh. to move into a space and say, I can and will get through this. It's more challenging than others, but how can I try to be my best and love myself through it? Mm. Because I didn't love me um, in that, you know, we, as women, we naturally have things of ourselves that we don't like of ourselves. And then when you add this other piece, it just made it even more complicated. So I had to really get to a space of self-love to yeah. understand that I'm not to blame. 
and to believe that you are worthy of love, right? Yeah. From your husband yeah. and your friends and your family and that they're there to support you even mm-hmm. through, you know, your not great moments. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And he, I, I'm so thankful for him of his reassuring love of that. Um, I'm thankful because... for him too. Listen, I know, <laughs> girl, Listen, isn't that wonderful? It is wonderful. Yeah, I, and we talk you. about that. Yeah, in certain episodes about how it's so important to have spousal support. You know, it could be where it's just one person dealing with it. In our situation, it was not only myself, but then come to find out my husband had some male infertility, mm. and he shares openly on the podcast about his sp- sperm morphology, and. He put it in a funny way. And he said, basically, his boys were swimming, but they were just spinning in circles. They weren't going <laughs> anywhere. Like they were just missing the target. And he had to go see a neurologist for that and work through those issues. So then now, and I, in my own selfish ways, are trying to process it. When he got diagnosed, I kind of felt relieved. Like it wasn't just solely my fault. So I'm like, okay, well, look, it's him too. So now we can both share this load because I felt like all the pressure was on me. But I had to then realize that wasn't a healthy space either. So then I had to then turn around and be his support. And there was many times where he told me, you're not in this alone. Literally, I got my own stuff going on too. And Mm -hmm. even if it was just I, even up to that point, he was saying, I'm trying to deal with the losses too. Mm. It's emotionally stressful for me. It's financially, it's spiritually, it's physically, all these things. So he wasn't um, just focusing on me, but I needed to just focus on him. So it was that whole reciprocating of the support that is important as well as couples yeah. is that you have to be there for each other. Mm. You do. I'm Like I said, I'm so grateful that you have him and his support and his love. Like, thank you, Jesus. Thank you. <laughs> Thank yes. you. <laughs> yes. Yes. So I want to get kind of into the story because I feel like the journey to conception is mm-hmm. is probably one of the the best real life stories that you mm-hmm. could you could tell. And so I want to get into the story. But before we get into your story, I have to level set a little bit. Um, it's kind of a tradition on the show where I like to provide some statistics about this because I think that similar to abortion, infertility mm-hmm. is happening at rates that are far beyond what most people think about because people aren't talking about it and mm-hmm. they're not reporting it. So the statistic on abortions is that one in four women will have an abortion in their lifetime. Now, mm-hmm. I don't know if anybody in their life can point to 25% of the women in their lives and say, I know all of these women have had an abortion. But according to statistics, of the women that you know have had one. And so Uh there's a similar statistic for women who experience challenges with fertility. So Uh about 10%, this is according to the Centers of Disease Control, about 10% of women, which equates to about 6.1 million women in the United States between the ages of 15 and 44 have difficulty getting pregnant or staying pregnant. 
So that means 10% of the women, you know, you know, 20 women, two of them have had an issue conceiving a child. And I'm sure you couldn't name either one of those women, right? Because they're probably not talking about it. They haven't shared any of those issues, but they're happening. So that's the other reason why I think this conversation is so important. And Mm -hmm. I too am up against fertility issues and so that's how I actually found your podcast because I wanted to hear the stories of other women so I haven't actually tried yet like actively tried (laughs) you Uh know like I had you know some sex here there but you know I haven't Uh like actively tried to have a baby but because of PCOS Mm -hmm. Um, that I know you shared with me that you have as well and some other reproductive health issues that I've had with my cervix and having early stage cervical cancer. My doctors Mm -hmm. identified me as being at high risk for infertility in my 20s. And Mm -hmm. so I now at 32 am in the process of freezing my eggs in an effort to preserve my fertility because of those high risk markers that were identified for me in my 20s. And so my doctor basically put it this way. If you do not have medical intervention, you probably Mm -hmm. will not have a baby. That's what she said. She basically was like, you probably will not have a baby on your own. She said, like, for every 20 times that a woman has sex, a normal woman, like she would have unprotected sex, like she would have three to six children. Mm -hmm. Is kind of how Mm -hmm. she described it. She said, I could have sex a hundred times and I might have one baby, maybe. Mm -hmm. Your odds sound like ours. (laughs) (laughs) you know yeah and that's basically how she described it to me and so she was like we need to start now we need Mm -hmm. to start figuring out what's going on with your body now we need to send you to a fertility specialist so I was sent to a fertility specialist when I was 31 which is very young (laughs) yes And considering I had not actively up until that point been trying to conceive a baby because most times the doctor won't send you to the fertility specialist until you've actually started trying to conceive. And so, yeah, this topic is near and dear to my heart as it's something that I'm currently going through and I'm set to have my first extraction in September. Okay. Well, I will definitely be sending up some prayers and love for you in that journey and the blessing that one, not that you're going through this, but that early detection and you taking the preventative measures to preserve your fertility. And, um, you know, unfortunately we are in a space where people are trying to take away certain rights of women and which, you know, segues into infertility as well. And so I wish you nothing but the best with that. And I always tell people, um, going back to my husband and him being a pillar of faith for me, sometimes I always didn't have the faith that, oh, this is going to work out and always be super positive. And that's one reason why we even started the podcast was to be a pillar of hope um, through faith and laughter as well to say, hey, you guys are going through this. We've been there Um, even after having our daughter still going through some things of not having um, other children and we're thankful for her, but you know, we would have loved to have had other children, but it just hasn't worked out for us in that way. So 
you know, I wish you nothing but the best and getting through it and uh, believe that it's possible for you. And that when you do fully decide, okay, now I'm ready to actually pursue that it'll come together for you. I receive that. Yeah, receive it. <laughs> I receive do. It. Thank <laughs> you. Receive it. You're so welcome. So t- tell me, when, at what point did mm-hmm. you realize that you were having challenges conceiving a child? Immediately, because mm-hmm. we got married young um, in our early 20s. Um, we got married, went on our honeymoon, come back from the honeymoon, and I didn't have my period that month. Mm-hmm. And so I just assumed, oh my gosh, another month came and went, another month, nothing. And so finally, six months later, I went to the doctor and um, found out was the diagnosis first I had heard of a polycystic ovarian syndrome, which we know as PCOS. Mm-hmm. So with that being said, the doctor mm-hmm. wanted to start me on um, birth control. And I thought it was just counterproductive because I was like, I'm trying to get pregnant here. I don't want to be on birth control. I have nothing against birth control. But for me at that time, I said, no, I'm good. But then I went on it because she felt it was the best prescription to start regulating the periods. I attributed to uh, stress because prior to our wedding, that whole week of it, my husband's father, grandfather had passed away. It was mm. a long three-day service. We had all these things happening. It was just a stressful time for us. So I chopped it up to um, being stressed. And therefore, it just wasn't coming. So I said, it will come eventually. So that was 2004. Um, we got married August. Six months later, brought us into 2005. And so from really 2005 to um, nine years, you know, straight, we were dealing with that of infertility. Wait, so wait, wait, it was from 2005 to when? When I got pregnant with my daughter in 2013. Wow. So we were dealing it with all, yeah, that whole time. Yeah. And Eight it was years. kind of immediately. Yeah. Yeah. It was really n- nine because it, um, if you look at 2004, but you know, we were dealing with that and the hardest part was, again, this was foreign, like anyone, because prior to then I was regular. Um, I know that in adolescence, you can be irregular because your body's adjusting, you know, to your menstrual cycle and it's just not there yet or set there for some women, maybe not all. But for me, I was regular. And then you go through your life trying not to get pregnant because the mm. conversation is, oh my gosh, now you have your period. And if you sleep with a boy, you're going to get pregnant. Don't bring no babies in this house and all that kind of thing. And I'm thinking the whole time, man. I could have been. <laughs> it's not that I was out there thotting it up or something. But, but you could have been. I mean, you know, but the reality is, is that I was like, man, now of all times I'm married, I'm ready to have kids. Mm. We just thought, you know, hey, it was just going to happen. And it just wasn't happening. So yeah, from the beginning of our marriage until 2013, when I had my daughter, or got pregnant with my daughter. And then she, you know, was born the next year. Yeah, we were dealing with that the whole time, the whole time. And again, keeping it to ourselves because of the shame, all that. That's crazy. I mean, it's so powerful when you say that as women, we spend the majority of our adolescence and early adulthood trying to avoid pregnancy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. And then to get to a space in your life where you're ready 
And then you find out that all that avoidance was for naught. Yeah, it was for naught. And I could have had a whole face. Oh my God. <laughs> Living real I reckless. Could have. I could have been so <laughs> reckless, you know, but I wasn't, I was a good girl. I know by the grace of God, I was a good girl. But the reality is you think I thought about those things. I thought about that. I was like, I could have really been out here just living it up. Um, but you know, with that, other things could have happened, but it was just the whole, you, you try to, it's your way of trying to process this, trying to cope, trying to rationalize it. And that was my rationale. Yeah. I mean, the, the second part of that, right. Is that this idea that having a baby is the inevitable result of having unprotected sex, right. Mm-hmm. That kind mm-hmm. of conditioning and it's not that easy <laughs> for a lot of women. And pregnancy is not the inevitable result of unprotected sex. But those tropes, right? Like, don't bring no baby home. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, don't don't be thotting and bopping out here, right? It kind of right. conditions you from an early age to believe that that will be the result. And so when that doesn't happen, mm-hmm. it's like, well, wait. What's what's mm-hmm. going on? You know what I mean? Yeah, it does. And then the other part was now that I'm married, this will make me feel like a woman doing my wifely duties. At least that's what I thought. Everybody may have their own, you know, rationale for it, but I felt like, okay, this was the second part. Okay, first comes love, then comes marriage, then comes shall me go with the baby carriage kind of thing. <laughs> and it just didn't happen like that. So I'm like, where is my baby carriage? Mm. So now I'm, yes, in a space where I can get pregnant and have as many babies as my husband and I desire. And we come to find out, no, it's not going to be like that for you. Honestly, like I wanted like five, maybe six kids. Wow. And just to try to get one was a journey within itself. Yeah. So I want to go back. So you said that you went to the doctor and mm-hmm. they just descri- prescribed you as treatment for your polycystic ovarian syndrome. PCOS mm-hmm. for short, birth control. How did that mm-hmm. work? Like, how that's gonna work? How, like, what happened after that? What was the rationale? And like, what was their plan for you to eventually be able to have a baby when the uh, prescription was like taking you further away from what you actually wanted? Like, how that makes sense? Right. It didn't. It didn't make sense, and that's why I fought it because I again I felt it was just the reverse of what I wanted. So I did it grudgingly and it did bring my periods back. But then I felt that it was just a band-aid on top of something that needed stitches. And that was just an internal feeling and unctioning that I had that I really need to get to the root of this. Again, I had never heard this acronym before. So I just started using my resources of researching what this is. How can I fight? I like went into fight mode. Because I knew this is something that I wanted. And as I started researching it, looking at how it can complicate your health and be a catalyst to like diabetes and high blood pressure and high cholesterol and, you know, the weight gain. Because during this mm-hmm. time period of, for me getting married to getting my diagnosis, I had gained like 50 pounds. Now, I like to eat, but I'm not out here just eating crazy. Now, I will admit during that time I was not working out, but it seemed like the weight just came on so easily. And I was just so taken back by it. Like my body changed, hair and discoloration and just all kinds. I was like, if you have PCOS, my picture was right next to it. I felt like I was the epiphany of, you know, the epitome of, you know, 
PCOS. So I just went in to start researching it. I found a book on how to um, overcome PCOS with diet and exercise. So I started to try to change my diet and lessen my carbs and take multivitamins and do all these things. I come to find out my thyroid was low. My vitamin D was super low. And I live in Phoenix and it was super low. And I guess that's because we live, you know, in the hot, hot heat. So we stay inside. But then I come to find out with black women, particularly, you know, thyroid disorder and vitamin D can be low for us. So mm -hmm. it just went into knowing that. And so I just stopped taking the birth control and started going to that more alternative route of trying to figure this out for myself. And the doctors put me also on metformin. And that was me to help too, reduce my sh insulin levels. But for me, it just didn't work. It didn't work. So I had to start taking, I found that if you mix cinnamon in water or in your oatmeal, that can help naturally bring out or taking apple cider vinegar. And these are things, you know, that I just leaned on. And then fast forwarding by 2008, I took a major leap and went to go see a, a DO um, instead of an MD. And What's she a DO? was still, what is a DO is a naturopathic, naturopathic doctor. Okay. And so I went and saw her and she did this saliva panel on me and all types of blood work that the other doctors had never did before. And that changed my life. It was pricey, but it changed my life because mm -hmm. from that date going forward, even to now, I have been regular every month concerning my cycle and other um, hormonal levels and just different things have been normal. So I have been on that regiment since 2008 of trying to really watch what I eat. Now I'm not perfect. Um, and particularly since the pandemic, honey, I have taken uh, refuge in good meals. Uh, <laughs> As we all have. Food. Yes. <laughs> but, you know, those things are in the forefront of my mind of alternative ways of how to treat my body. And I learned that you have to advocate for yourself because even that same doctor I was crying to her, the initial doctor that gave me the PCOS uh, diagnosis. And I was in tears and I'm just so confused. And I guess it was my behavior. I was just totally distraught. She thought I needed antidepressants and antipsychotics and stuff. And she offered me, you know, uh, Xanax and, you know, Valium and these things to help settle me. And I said, I'm not. And there's nothing wrong with that if you need it. I said, but I don't need that. I just want to know what's going on with my body. Can you help mm -hmm. me out with that? I was like, you can keep all the other stuff. So you have to advocate for yourself. And there's been a yeah. lot of times I've told doctors, no, I'm not doing that. That's such an important part of this conversation. And so we're going to get into all that too. Like, I feel like it's such a slap in the face for your doctor to ask if you need Xanax because you're having an emotional response to uh -huh. a very emotional process and diagnosis like yeah girl what like what you yeah I literally That's came out my tears and I was like uh, <laughs> no I don't need that you know and I have a psychology counseling background so I I'm aware of that and I wasn't you know um neglecting that if I needed I would have taken it but I didn't need that in that moment like you said I was having a human response to this for me traumatic experience yes. what's going on every 28 yeah. days we're supposed to be having a cycle and it wasn't happening so I'm like I'm six months later I'm here with you I'm thinking I have ovarian cancer I'm thinking mm -hmm. I have 
something, a blockage, or I'm going to need surgery. And then for her to say PCOS and going with infertility, that was totally a blindsided by that. Yeah. So yeah, it was a human response. Girl, listen, I, I, I totally can relate and understand to what you're saying. And so I feel like a, a natural question for me as a black woman and knowing what we know about black maternal health and the inability in a lot of cases for black women to get the proper medical care that they need. Like what was the ethnicity and gender of this doctor like we we need to know because I feel like yeah. my care got elevated when I decided to actively seek out a black woman OBG and so uh -huh. before that I had a wonderful Indian woman doctor and she uh -huh. Although she was at a very like traditional medicine facility like Emory. So I've been going to Emory for my care since law school. Nice. And um, even though she was there because of her heritage, it was always her goal to practice less traditional um, areas of medicine. And so she's actually the one who talked to me about diet, exercise. And so mm -hmm. that's why I stopped eating meat. Mm -hmm. I, I don't know if I've ever told this story on the podcast before, I don't think. Wow. <laughs> but yeah, that's, she's the reason why, because she was like, you know, the, the meats that you're eating are causing serious amounts of inflammation in your body. Mm -hmm. And so she was like, we need to get your inflammation down. And the first time she mentioned it to me, I was like, girl, this chicken ain't ki killing me. I can eat chicken like girl. Bye. And then you get to a point where mm -hmm. I had went one year and three months without a period. Mm -hmm. And you get to a point and you're like, something is wrong with me. <laughs> Uh -huh. <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean even I though you. you feel normal I had started to pick up weight uh -huh. nothing I was doing was working I hadn't eaten a carb in like years I was gaining weight and like even to this day like I feel like I'm able to manage my weight but I'm still uh -huh. not as thin as I I was you know what I mean like I don't think yeah. I'll ever be thin <laughs> you know what I mean like I think that's out the door for me at this point I think I can be athletic hey. I think I can, yeah. you know, but then that that's like that ship. Hey, we're sailed. body positive around here. <laughs> Listen, if you're healthy, that's what matters. I, 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 I have accepted my body and, and yeah. what it is, but it's like when you putting in all this work, God dang, I'm going to be looking like Naomi Campbell. Like, you know I mean, I'm like I'm, yeah, hungry, I I'm tired, I'm exercising. Yeah. Why don't I look like Beyonce yet? It, you, <laughs> you know, know what I mean? Right. I hear you. I have those same frustrations. It's like this mental struggle while you know you're mm -hmm. healthy and you're doing the right things for your body. When you see your girlfriends eating burgers and french fries and, you know, mm -hmm. like talking about, oh, girl, I'm so fat today, 150 pounds. And I'm fighting just to be like, you know, under 200, right? I'm not even fighting for like 150. I'm just trying to fight. You know what I mean? Like not eating. Yeah. And so mentally you have that struggle. And so it wasn't until like the second or third time that she told me, girl, did you stop eating the meat? Did you uh -huh. like, did you change your diet that I was like, okay, yeah. I'm picking up weight. I cannot control it. My period has been missing in action for over a year now. Like yeah. I got to try something. And so I, I changed the diet, like you said, but 
it came back regularly and then I was in a relationship and so I decided to go on birth control okay and then when I got off it like that totally messed up my cycle again but it was like going like like clockwork and everything just like you said and so Uh you know I totally understand that but it it wasn't for that Indian woman doctor who was committed Uh to providing Uh me with excellent care I don't you know what I mean so like we're like we we need to know what was the ethnicity of your doctor well she was a white female and all of my doctors were uh white european i would say descent i you know i am pro you know supporting black doctors or you know black and brown positions however at that time when i was looking for a position a position in my area i could not find a doctor Mm-hmm. Um, who met the certifications or whatever for infertility treatment, stuff like that, that wasn't um, Black, and particularly where I was. And I know they have wonderful doctors throughout the United States that are Black and Brown that do that. And I wish that I would have found that. But I had to advocate for myself um, because even being in the clinics, I didn't see anybody that looked like my husband and I. You know, the advertisement is directed towards white families, white couples, Mm. Um, the pictures on the walls, white babies. And, you know, they have the success stories and they have their baby wall. And it's like, oh, one day your baby can be up there, too, kind of thing. Mm. And I never saw anyone in the waiting room that looked like me. And it was almost, you know, having to take up space in a positive way. Not that saying that I would ever be negative, but I always felt like I had to represent for the people. That was a pressure I put on myself. Mm-hmm. being in these spaces where no one looked like me and even combating some of the microaggressions, stereotypes. Um, what are, are you, are you going to be able to pay for this? And, mm. you know, and all that. So yeah, dealing with that and those types of things in the clinics was something that my husband and I faced. Um, but yeah, I didn't have that type of representation um, that I found in my area uh, for those doctors, but yeah, it was dominated by white physicians. Ugh, I hate that for you. I hate that. And, and not to yeah. say that there are no good ones out there. So my fertility specialist right. is a white male and he's fantastic, uh-huh. but he's on yeah. the same care team as my black woman, OBG. <laughs> See, that's wonderful. And the doctor that we had who assisted us in that process, even with my daughter, the one thing that I liked about him, and he was a white male, um, Dr. Johnson, we shared his name on the podcast. He and his wife also went through infertility. So it was also having that empathy, you know, part. And I was so tired at that point of explaining my stories. Every doctor that you go to, you have to just explain. I wish they had universal health charts, but, you know, they don't. I mean, we can't even get universal health care support. So anyway, but <laughs> always just re-explaining my story. And I was tired of that. So he immediately, when he, he let out with, I've been there. I used to sit on the other side of that desk Mm. and I literally was able to let my guard down and I had swore I wasn't going to cry in a doctor's office anymore. But when he said that something was just released from me and I felt safe with him and he assisted us. Now he ended up leaving during our second round of IUI, but he left, I believe. So that way it was divine intervention at that point that led to my daughter because I don't have anything wrong with medicine. Um, and I believe in it. That's why I sought that treatment. However, I do believe in miracles. I still believe in the power of God. 
And with him leaving, it just gave for my situation a great time for God to show up and show out and to mm-hmm. allow my daughter to be conceived um, without that intervention. Because they want us to come back another month. And we were like, oh my gosh, this is crazy. We're doing all this buildup for this IUI. But in between that gap, we conceived my daughter. Ooh. Oh, I love that for you. And I, I'm so glad mm-hmm. he was he was there for you. Like that's the that's the bedside mm-hmm. manner that you expect yes. of a doctor. Not can I prescribe you some antidepressants? Like, mm-hmm. no, like you expect people to treat you with a level of empathy and concern mm-hmm. as as an attorney. So this is also not something I've shared on the podcast before. So as an attorney, I find the same thing dealing with my colleagues. They have such little empathy for their clients and it's not intentional, but I think it's difficult to empathize with someone when you haven't been there before. Uh I have been in a situation where I needed an attorney Uh Uh (laughs) and I was the client. And so when you're the client, you're like, oh, my gosh, I'm trusting this person with my life, my livelihood, my career, my money, whatever it is you need the lawyer for. Right. Like, I need you and I have to trust you because Uh especially as a lawyer, like I, too, have enough knowledge to know, like, it ain't looking good or it's looking good. You know what I mean? So I'm I'm like so scared and so as an as an attorney as a doctor like you need to be able to inspire that confidence in your clients and you need to be able to be that calming force because they're coming to you at Uh what is one of the lowest points yes girl and I'm just like sometimes I'll be looking at my colleagues like what is wrong with you why would you say would you want somebody to say that to you if your life livelihood your coin because hiring an attorney is not cheap not cheap on the line I already know right (laughs) girl like y'all got some high rates (laughs) girl listen I would I need them rates to start listen I ain't rich I spent most of my career in in-house, so we mm-hmm. we worked on a salary, no billable hours. <laughs> but, hey, but you're just sharing that empathy goes a long way. Yeah. And, you know, and that was the part even before I started the podcast, I was saying, okay, I can empathize with people because I've been there, but there's so many um, facets of infertility. It, it, it's not just cookie cutter, everybody, even though you and I have PCOS as a diagnosis, mm-hmm. how we experience it may be different in our body. So I can't fully relate to everybody. And I was like, how am I going to talk to somebody to encourage them and to help them out? But I think just the fact that you can just let your guard down some, and it took years Okay, because we've been going through this since 2005. And then we finally got the courage to really speak up and out about it. Really, after I had my daughter, because then people are like, oh, it's such a miracle you're pregnant. And I was like, you just don't understand. This pregnancy was not just a one and done kind of thing. It took years. And people, when they start hearing it, and it was slowly, but surely, it was like, oh, you know. And then for us to even get on the mic and have a broader conversation about it, it was just taking those steps and then people can say, oh, okay, you know, I can kind of let my woosa, somebody out there is going through it. And sometimes, you know, as they say, misery loves company. And they say that in a bad way, but the company can be comfort. The company can be peace because to know that I have this shared burden, almost going back to what I was saying with my husband, 
he was diagnosed too. So it was like, whew. I was like, okay, the pressure's off of me. Now we can share this load. Um, But yeah, it's just you being empathetic in your profession, uh, sharing the podcast, you know, family, friends, and not everybody is always receptive to your story or may not understand your story or what took you to share your story. But at the end of the day, it's your story. This is my story. And, you know, I just felt it was just paramount for me to share at this particular time because I realize a lot of people around me and not just aren't in my inner circle, but even the exterior circles of my life are going through it. And we are suffering in silence. Mm. Mm. And we're going to have to make the people this week suffer a little bit more because that is it for this half of the episode. I know. Don't you hate it when that happens? Me too. But this conversation was so fantastic that I didn't want to cut it short. So I'm not. So next week, we are going to have part two of this amazing conversation with our incredibly vulnerable and transparent guest, Ms. Shalmika Sweet, where she is going to continue to tell us about her fertility journey. And yeah, I know I'm going to sprinkle in a little bit of my own anecdotes in here and there because, you know, that's how I do. So until then, let me thank y'all for tuning in for another episode of the Sugar Free Podcast. As always, it is such a pleasure and an honor to have you here. Please tune back in next week for more amazing conversation, plenty of vulnerability and transparency, and of course, more of the most exquisite tea that's 100% sugar free. Woo chow. Mm-hmm. What a show. We shared some good old tea today, didn't we, friend? Thank you for your presence. I truly enjoyed you at the tea party. And we appreciate you sipping on some sugar-free tea. With me, your host, Sid Mack. Until next time, be sure to connect with me on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube at Sugar Free Podcast or at Sugar Free Pod. You can also visit our website at www.sugarfreepodcast.com. See you again soon, friends. And be sure to keep the tea party going, a With plenty of tea that's 100% sugar-free. Tired of piecing your business forms together from an internet search? Tired of sealing all your business deals with a pinky promise? Looking for a way to add some formality and professionalism to your business relationships? Then you need Formally. Formally is a DIY legal form and template shop for entrepreneurs, small business owners, creatives, freelancers, dreamers, and side hustlers. All Formally forms and templates are drafted by an experienced licensed business attorney and reviewed by a law professor. So, not to brag or anything, but our forms are pretty legit. So what are you waiting for? Throw those pinky promises away and try formally today.